Welcome to the DNVGL Talks Energy podcast series. Electrification, rise of renewables and new technologies supported by more data and IT systems are transforming the power system. Join us each week as we discuss these changes with guests from around the industry. Welcome to a new episode of DNVGL Talks Energy. My guest today is Ben Beckwell, CEO of Global Wind Energy Council. Welcome, Ben. Hi, Matthias. Uh, nice to be here. Ben, we want to talk about the large upbuild of renewables, in your case especially wind, going forward and that what that means uh, also for the electricity system. But before we get into this, it would be great if you introduce yourself and remind us what the Global Wind Energy Council is doing. So the Global Wind Energy Council is the trade association for the global wind uh, industry. Uh, we represent uh, big uh, corporate um, uh, actors in the uh, wind industry, um, developers, um, equipment manufacturers, uh, service providers and consultancies. Um, and we also represent all the national wind uh, energy associations around the world. So I'm a former uh, journalist um, uh, and analyst. Um, I had a background in um, um, energy and energy policy and worked in many places around the world um, and started um, uh, writing about renewables about 10 or 12 years ago. Um, and then moved into advocacy, um, uh, worked also as a consultant advising large uh, wind and solar companies um, and utilities on, on the transition to renewables. Um, and then recently took over as the CEO of uh, GWEC a few months ago. You've also published a book a couple of years ago, which is called Wind Power, The Struggle for Control of a New Global Industry, which uh, was published again in a second revised edition just last year, I think. Um, and I just would like to ask you, how is wind winning that struggle against fossil fuels and what are the struggles wind power is still facing around the world? So, I mean, the, the wind industry is a story really of incredible success. I mean, I think there's very few uh, global industries that have seen the growth that our industry has seen with a kind of doubling of you know, accumulated capacity every few years and, you know, uh, you know growth in annual uh, capacity and installations every, you know, every, every uh, most, most years. Um, building to kind of new highs all the time and, and really being incredibly successful in, in going into new markets and, and growing capacity and, and displacing uh, kind of older incumbent forms of, of, of energy. Um, I think it's uh, a, a, an energy which people, when they understand it and they see it, they, they you know, react to very positively and they can see the benefits of. Um, and it's gone through a journey really of going from something quite niche and uh, rather expensive compared to other uh, forms of power generation to being something which is both mainstream and uh, also very uh, cost uh, effective and competitive. Right. In DNVGL's recently published Energy Transition Outlook 2018, we foresee that in 2050, about 80% of the electricity generation is covered by renewables, solar PV, onshore wind, offshore wind. Um, we have also digitalization becoming a big topic of our industry. What would you think? How efficient are today's wind turbines and how much more efficient can they become by digitalization? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two, I mean, there's two, there's two parts here to this question around um, digitalization. I mean, the first is that you know, wind turbines uh, have been showing a kind of continuous path towards you know, higher um, efficiency and more um, production, energy production uh, per, per megawatt. Um, and a lot of this is actually has to do with um, uh, um, actually just bigger turbines. So a lot of it's just to do with actually having particularly bigger blades um, that are able to capture more uh, wind. 
um, and, and the industry has continually pushed the boundary about how big a blade you can put on, on, on a tower and, and, and on a hub. Um, and we've been able to capture lower wind speeds, capture kind of different types of, of, of winds. And, and there's, those, there's those efficiencies uh, on the engineering side. I think on digitalization, wind turbines have become intelligent. So the whole kind of system of kind of capturing the wind and being able to kind of um, uh, adjust the direction and the pitch of blades um, now can be done you know, uh, through uh, digital technology by having sensors on the turbines that can kind of um, correctly um, anticipate where you know, wind is going for the kind of maximum uh, capture and the turbines can react very quickly. The other side of it is that wind turbines can actually talk to each other within wind farms. So you, again, you can anticipate uh, the direction and the type and speed of, of wind uh, 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 much better. And then the other uh, gains are on um, operational maintenance. So, you know, SCADA systems and, and control centers are now incredibly advanced. You can see into the turbines, you can carry out tasks uh, remotely. Um, uh, uh, there's digital clones of, of turbines, which will, uh, allow you to kind of understand the turbine and anticipate uh, uh, problems uh, in a much more efficient way. So there's lots of um, different uh, gains from, from digitalization. I think the second um, uh, part of digitalization is about the wider piece around how wind power fits into the power system as a whole. So, um, Wind power, just like solar, is a, a variable source of power. It's not a just a constant output. It depends on the strength of the wind and the availability of the wind. And, and how do you integrate that into a system that's basically based on kind of large baseload power with a lot of redundancy built in? And digitalization is very much the part, part of the answer uh, to that, both in terms of uh, resource assessment and being able to predict you know, very uh, uh, accurately how much a, a wind farm uh, is going to produce in any kind of given situation and also in terms of responding to demand and responding to system demands um, and also in the, on the side of demand from energy consumers as well I think that's going to be a very important part of the picture is being able to kind of turn you know on and, on and off or up and down power uh, depending on demand and also to turn the demand up and down depending on what you know what's being produced so I think the whole system is becoming more interconnected and more intelligent and that requires uh, digitalization. Yeah, so with this large build-up rate of renewables, of course, the variability has to be addressed, apart from digitalization, which you just mentioned. Which other technologies coming up would you think help us to integrate renewables smoother into the grid? I think, I think the first thing is to try and look at, you know, take a whole system approach and look at uh, complementarity between different uh, technologies. So, um, you know, how does wind fit together with solar? How does it fit together with hydro in some places? How does it fit together with, with other technologies in, in, in other places? I mean, mainly, mainly uh, solar and, uh, and hydro in some places. Um, and, uh, and then I think the second thing is also storage. So, you know, to what extent do we need storage to um, be able to deal with the kind of you know, variability of, of both wind um, and solar? And, and the design for, for markets, I think, and the design of power systems is going to be quite different in different places and depending on uh, you know, local and regional resources and what's, what's already there and patterns of demand. Uh, and I think um, it's really the integration of technologies that's interesting and how wind fits together with, with, with lots of other things. I, don't, I think we're too big as an industry now just to be talking about wind and just mm. to be asking for more wind. You know, we need to show people how it all, it all fits together. Yeah, that leads actually quite nicely into the next question I had. There was in the past, we had somehow a bit of a competition between the different renewable energy sources. There was this solar lobby and the wind lobby. And uh, going forward, you as an expert in communications and 
public affairs. What is your take on this? I mean, how should these different uh, technologies communicate with each other? Well, I mean, I th first of all, I mean, I think the you know the aim is still um, uh, reduction in carbon and, um, uh, and and creating a, a, a clean energy system. And in that sense, wind and solar very much go together. And uh, and I think. Uh, 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 are, are aiming at the same thing and have, have the same impact uh, um, uh, on the kind of big picture of, of carbon reduction. Uh, so, so I see you know, the introduction of solar as a positive thing. Um, I think in terms of competition, um, I think what's really important to recognise is that it's two different types of power, it's two different types of, of product. Solar is, you know, in sunny places, mainly, you know, sunny places and during the daytime and particularly at midday, um, wind tends to be, you know, throughout the day and, and especially at night time. Um, and it's obviously, you know, worth doing where it's windy. It's not worth doing everywhere. Right. So, so I've, I've, I mean, I actually think there's a complementarity. I think there's a danger in looking at energy or power just in terms of price. I think you need to look at the price, but also the value that the power has within the overall system. So there's no good just, you know, taking price of megawatt hour for solar and then just contracting all of solar because to put it crudely, you just won't have any power at night, or you'll have to spend a lot on storage to store it. Um, so you need to look at the value of the power within you know, the overall picture uh, uh, over 24 hours and over a period and over a sort of seasonality, and that's how it fits together. So in most, in most places, wind and solar are actually quite complementary. Uh, it wouldn't be a good idea to do just solar because you are going to end up having to have um, some kind of uh, uh, you know, what, they, what they used to call base load, which in many cases is going to be fossil fuels still. Um, or, or a lot of um, storage to, to store it, whereas um, wind and solar quite often fit together very, 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 very well. Mm. We had, uh, beginning of October, a relatively alarming report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, uh, which was reminding us uh, that we need to be faster, maybe, in the energy transition. Uh, from your point of view, um, how satisfied are you with the build-up of low-carbon generation technology globally, but especially also here in Asia-Pacific? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, the IPC, uh, IPCC report was um, um, a real you know, wake-up call. Um, I think there was a lot of optimism after Paris. It's quite clear that we're not on track to a sustainable world. Um, in fact, even, you know, with the, even with a 2% uh, increase in, in, in global temperatures on average, we would be looking at you know, fairly catastrophic uh, changes to our uh, livable uh, environment. And so the IPCC has now said that we need to limit temperature yeah, change to 1.5%. Now, in order to get there, I mean, it's a, it's a tremendous uh, challenge. We're going to have to really step up uh, uh, what we do, as, as you said earlier. And that's consistent with DNVGL's Energy Transition Outlook report. Um, you know, renewables in, in terms of power is going to have to be, you know, pretty much mo you know, the, most of the system, somewhere between 70, 85% of the entire power system. Uh, generation uh, uh, system. So how do we get there and what does that mean? I mean, at the moment we're at something like uh, 0.6 uh, trillion US dollars per year in terms of spending. We need to get something to something like 2.4 trillion US per year by 2050. So there's this an incredible um, amount to do. And I mean, as someone involved in the renewables industry, I mean, I feel both, you know, both a, a kind of tremendous sense of um, opportunity um, but also a real sense of responsibility as well uh, because of the scale of, of the challenge. So I think all of us you know, in the industry are going to have to really step up our game uh, and, and, and seek uh, um, you know, uh, alliances and partners and, and financing and policy support to be able to kind of increase uh, uh, the speed of deployment. Right. 
We are recording this episode here at the site of the Singapore International Energy Week 2018. So as the last question for that episode I would have for you, what is your major takeaway from this conference? Yeah, I mean, I guess my major takeaway is that yeah, there's a real desire and, and willingness uh, to embrace energy transition and change, but things are going far, far too slowly, especially in this part of the world um, in terms of the energy transition. Um, I was struck by the first day of the conference, you know, how the kind of incumbent uh, fossil uh, kind of players just seemed to be talking as if nothing had changed and, and seemed to be just extremely confident about them being the mainstream of the energy system. Um, that's not the case in the rest of the world. It's not the case in Europe. It's not the case in the US. It's not the case anywhere else. Uh, so I think there's a lot of uh, work you know, to be done here to try and um, you know, capture people's imagination and to uh, try and really uh, kind of speed up uh, the momentum of change. It, it is coming and it is happening here, but it needs to happen a, a, a lot um, a lot faster. And, and, and I think um, Southeast Asia is kind of unique because it's the only place in the world that is constructing large amounts of new build coal. Um, and that you know, will have a catastrophic um, impact in terms of us being able to meet um, two, two degree temperature change target, let alone 1.5. So something needs to change and something needs to change quickly. And um, I think a lot of that is, is up to us showing that our industry, the renewables industry, the wind and solar, are you know, both viable and economically competitive uh, alternatives to what's, what's, what exists at the moment. Right. Thank you very much, Ben, for your interesting insights. Um, and thank you to the listeners. That was Ben Beckwell, CEO of Global Wind Energy Council. Thanks, Matthias. Thank you for listening to this DNVGL Talks Energy podcast. To hear more podcasts in the series, please visit dnvgl.com slash talksenergy.